Bibles, I want you to turn to the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. I'm going to, because we didn't have a Good Friday service here this morning, how many of you went to Good Friday? Oh, so good. So good. What an awesome statement to gather with the church across Marlborough and declare that our God is alive. But because we didn't have a Good Friday service, I'm going to pack Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday all into one, and it's going to be a good time. So we're going to go straight from Isaiah chapter 53. Uh, I'm in the NIV again this morning. I've fallen in love with my NIV a little bit lately, uh, <laughs> the North Island version. So it's, uh, here we go. So <laughs> always good when you tell a joke that's like 50 years old and people think they're hearing it for the first time. That's it's good. Right, here we go. Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. This is a prophetic prophet. This is a prophecy about Jesus. It says, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed." We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him, that's being Jesus, the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, say his knowledge. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. And, and oh, I changed screen and it's different. And he will divide the spoils with the strongs because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Incredible verse, eh? Incredible verse. I have a friend who's Jewish who became a Christian a number of years ago because she came downstairs holding this book and said to the pastor that she was living with at the time, what is this? This is your Jesus and my Bible. <laughs> he just went, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Have you ever fallen in love with something, with someone? Not something. Have you ever fallen in love with someone? Someone that had a special something? Have you ever said of someone that you've, fall, that you've fallen in love with, this one's different? This one's different. Any of you ever had a friend who goes from relationship to relationship and everyone they say, this one's different? This one's different. And, they, and so they say to you, what's different? 
And you, you struggle to answer except to say, there's just something about this one. When I met Emma, who's not here, she's in the crash, working hard, as she does. When I met Emma, there was something about her, something undefinable. It wasn't that she was gorgeous, although she's definitely that. It wasn't her athletic ability, because let's face it, there is nothing appealing about exercise. In fact, I would struggle to name exactly what it was, but there was just something about Emma. In the words of an old 90s irrelevant boy band, everybody's looking for that something. The problem is nobody really knows what that something is before they find it. We walk through life seeking, hoping, waiting, wondering if we will ever find that something. People have written books about the something, trying to define it, how to find it, how to be something. And yet the best word we can come up with to describe it is only something. We know it's not nothing because when we have found something, we know that it's something. But it's hard to articulate what something is. Many a man has stumbled over the task of trying to write wedding vows that in the end boil down to this simple yet undefinable truth. There's something about you. It's always the men that struggle. James and I, we do weddings. The woman's vows are easy, eh? The men's vows, it's like, oh, try again. <laughs> try again. Look her in the eyes while you're writing it. <laughs> this morning as we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, I want to talk from the thought there's something about Jesus. There's something about Jesus. See, there are so many things that don't make sense about Jesus. How many, how many agree with me this morning? There's things about Jesus that just do not make sense. He bucks every trend. He doesn't conform to any of the how-to-be-influential books. He says controversial things like love your enemies and whoever wants to be first needs to be last. And yet he has the largest and longest-lasting following in all of history. This despite the fact that he was born into a situation that from the outside would be illegal and frowned upon. An unmarried refugee couple. To take it further, he grows up, his following grows, despite the fact that the two biggest races in his life and in his town, the Jews and the Romans, both want to stop his name and his following out of the existence of, of all reality. See, the Jews and the Romans could agree on nothing except Let's get rid of Christianity. So the two main forces, the two main people group in town wanted to stamp it out. And yet his name and his following survives even this and years of persecution ever since. History records that everywhere Jesus went, he would amass a large following. At times, talking to crowds of more than 5,000. Not bad for a carpenter who doesn't have a house. As Jesus walked from city to city, we're told that the group following him was so large and so eager to see him, speak to him, touch him, that the crowds were pressed up against each other, pressed up against Jesus. Everywhere Jesus would go, he'd enter towns and the whispers would start, Jesus is here. Have you been to see Jesus? And the questions would probably come, why? Is he a priest? Is he a prophet? Is he a high-ranking official? I don't know. Son of a carpenter or something? 
but there's something about Jesus. There's something about Jesus. You need to come and see him. We need to go and see him. The question is, what is the something? What is it? For years, movies have tried to capture the awe of Jesus. Perhaps it was his clothes, his beautiful blue eyes, his well-beard, oiled groom beard. A few years ago, an experiment was conducted on children, which sounds bad as a starting introduction for this story. A few years ago, an experiment was conducted with children, with children, not on children. They took French election candidates and asked the children to choose which one would be the best boat captain because politics didn't matter to them. Which one would be the best boat captain? And so they put these photos up of two, and here's the thing. Every single time the children picked the, sex, the successful campaigner by their face, which makes you wonder, what are we really voting people in based on? There's many questions about the US election that we won't go into there. But there's just something about these people, their charisma, their smile. Maybe, maybe there was something about Jesus' appearance that that's how he grew his following. He just looked like something. He looked like he had something about him. And yet we know this isn't true. Because Isaiah 53 tells us in the opening text that he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. And in fact, in his time, for the, for the many that crowded to hear him, there were just as many that wanted to defeat him. <laughs> this is the crazy story. It was the ones who were responsible to point others towards the Messiah that despised him the most. The religious leaders, the priests and the leaders of God's chosen people, they despised him so much that all throughout Jesus' ministry, they conspired to trap him, to discredit him, and then when that wasn't possible, to kill him. But there's a problem with all of that. There's a problem. Because look what happens in Mark chapter 14. This is the story of the betrayal of Jesus. It says, just as he was speaking, that's Jesus, Judas, one of the 12 disciples appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the, the high priest. The high priest, the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. <laughs> Jesus' ministry reached a point that was so successful, so influential, that the religious leaders decided something had to be done. And so they get a group of temple guards and officials together and enlist the help of Judas to help them arrest Jesus. And here's why that's funny. These men have been so threatened by Jesus' ministry, so intimidated by his success, so angry with his message that they decide he needs to die. Not just be banned from the temple, not just be slandered on a website or blocked on Facebook, murdered. 
They're so angry, so ready to commit premeditated murder. But then they have to go, Judas, if you could just show us which one he is, that would be great. If you, if you could just like, if you could just kiss the one that like, because we're not really sure. We know he needs to die. We know we don't like him. We've got websites. We've got all these sorts of things. But if you could just kiss him, so we could tell him apart, that would be ideal. <laughs> They're so unwilling to recognize the teaching of Jesus. They can't even recognize the person of Jesus. And it's not like. I've just met him. Verse 49, every day I was with you. Every day I was with you teaching in the temple courts and you didn't arrest me. Like, how little attention do you have to be paying to the preacher to not recognize them? <laughs> like, I hope even if you hate my sermons, if you walk past me in the street, you go, uh. Now you might cross the road to avoid me, but at least you'd know what I looked like. How much time, how much, how little attention do you have to be paying in church that the preacher is with you every day? And yet still, when it comes time to arrest him, you go, Judas, no idea. No idea. Which one is he? Which one is he? <laughs> you know, the Bible in Isaiah 53, we read that he, he, was, he wasn't super attractive. There was nothing about his, his beauty to attract us to him. But he wouldn't have just looked the same as everybody else, right? Because, I mean, if you went to Matthew chapter 14, we won't for the sake of time, but in Matthew chapter 14, verse 34, when Jesus enters, they cross, they cross the sea and they enter a new town, and it says straight away people recognized him. So Jesus was recognizable as a person. He might not have looked different in the sense of like, you know, head and shoulders above everybody else, but he was still recognizable as a person if you took the time. You know, I've got friends who are identical twins, and to the untrained eye, they look the same. But if you spend enough time with them, you can tell them apart every single time because you start to learn and you start to identify little things that make them different in their appearance and the way they uh, move their mouths when they speak, all those sorts of things. Those who have spent time with them, those who know them, can always tell the difference. The problem is, these people have made a decision to kill someone that they didn't know. We would never do that. Jesus makes it clear on the day of judgment, there will be many people who were around Jesus, who worked for Jesus, but Jesus says never knew him. There's something about Jesus, but how can we know what it is if we're not even looking? Evidently, it's possible to spend every day with Jesus without recognizing him as Lord, without recognizing him, without recognizing that, that there's something different about him. Judas did it. The Pharisees did it. Many of his followers did it. And we might sit here and go, how could this happen? How could this possibly, how could someone not recognize someone? How could you get to a place where you say, let's kill someone that you, that you don't even know? But you know, we're not always as innocent as you might think. Because if we, if we were to back up the story to Mark chapter 11, we read the story of Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And it says people gathered around him and they laid down palm fronds. They, they laid down uh, you know, uh, their, their coats yelling, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest, King of kings. They declared him as king. The same people who declared Hosanna on Sunday shouted crucify him on Friday. How do you go from hailing someone as king to demanding their execution five days later unless you don't really know them? 
unless you haven't truly recognized the power that they carry. And see, we do this all the time, politically, in sports. We support a sports team until they don't do well, and then, oh my gosh, any Warriors fans in the building? You, you, you brave people, that's all I'm saying. Like, single yourselves out. Yeah, it's us. It's, we'll pray for you later. <laughs> we do it in sports. I guarantee you've had it happen to you. Not everybody who starts your journey with you finishes with you. How many of you have known people who claim to be your biggest supporters, your greatest encouragers, and then suddenly turned on you when a little bit of heat was applied? And if you read what happens continuing from Mark 11, you'll see that's exactly what happens. Jesus enters and they go, King, King, Hosanna, Hosanna. And then he starts applying heat. He clears out a temple. He curses a fig tree. He starts prophesying about persecution. And these people go, oh, you know. And then the priests start applying a little bit of heat. And suddenly people go, oh, you know, I know he said he was king, but he started talking about some pretty uncomfortable things. It's one thing to support someone when they're popular. It's another thing to support them when your reputation's at stake. Generally speaking, we only stick our necks out for the people we really know. And yet there's a promise in Scripture. Take a look at Isaiah 53, chapter, uh, verse 11. As he suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquity. There is a prophetic promise in the book of Isaiah chapter 23 that those who recognize him will be justified and transformed. Those who recognize him will be justified and transformed. And there are stories all throughout the Bible of people who recognize Jesus. Let me pull out just three this morning to show you. Uh, Let's start in John chapter 4, the story of Jesus and the woman at the well. You know, Jesus is going from town, so he has to bypass, he, has to, he, gets, he ends up at this well with, 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 with a Samaritan woman, and Jews and Samaritans don't speak. And they're having this conversation, and, and, and he asks her for something to drink, and the Samaritan woman says to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman, how can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Watch what Jesus says. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God, if you recognize the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And so they continue to talk a little bit, and eventually we get to this place uh, in in verse 19 where, where the Samaritan woman says, Sir, I can see you are a prophet. She's starting to recognize that there's something about Jesus that makes him different. But she hasn't got all the way yet because further down we read in verse 25, the woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus says to her, I, the one you are speaking of, am he. And so she has this progressive recognition of who Jesus is going from, I can see there's something different about you. The question is how different. And she goes from a place of one of the prophets to everything's different. Watch what continues to happen as we go forward further, 28 to 30. Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? So she's starting to ask the question. It says they came out of town and made their way towards him. Watch what happens next. Further on in verse 39, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. They believed because of the woman's recognition. 
he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Next verse. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you have said, for we have now heard for ourselves, and we know. Remember, Jesus started this whole conversation with, if you knew. And they finish with, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. So one woman, who by the way had five husbands, who would have been an outcast of the town, one woman who's a social outcast, but she, she goes from being the outcast of the town to the evangelist of the town. Why? Because she recognized that there's something about Jesus. And when we recognize that there's something about Jesus, something shifts inside of us. I'll give you another story. How many of you have ever heard the story of Zacchaeus? Little short man. Wants to know Jesus. He's a tax collector. Tax collectors are the most despised people in the community. Why? Because they, they take your money off you and they're, they're, they're wealthy and they extort the poor and all this sort of thing. <sighs> and so we've got this story of a tax collector. And in verse 3, it tells us, in verse 2, it tells us he climbed a tree. Why? Verse 3, he wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see the crowd, so he climbs a tree. He wanted to see who Jesus was. He wanted to see if there was something different about Jesus. Watch what happens in verses 5 to 10. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up to him and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. How terrifying is it when Jesus knows your name? <laughs> Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, recognition. Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. So Zacchaeus, the most despised type of person in the land, recognizes something different about Jesus and goes from being an extorter of the poor to the biggest supporter of the poor like that. Why? Because he noticed that there was something different about Jesus. For those of you that are still skeptical, I got one more story for you. I'm going to read all of this one because it's just so good. It's in the book of, I have lost my place here because I got too excited. John chapter 9. It's about a blind man. Got John chapter 9 there for me? I didn't give you that one, did I? Okay, go quick. John chapter 9, verse 1 to 9. <laughs> Could just open my analog one. You know, that's always an option. <laughs> hey, here we go. John chapter 9. About a blind man. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? It was not because of his sins or his parents' sins, Jesus answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen, recognized in him. 
We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming. Something is happening with my dude out here. The night is coming, and when there is, then no one can work. But while I am here, I am the light of the world. Then he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, and spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. He told him, go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, no, he just, he just looks like him. He just looks like him. Follow me here. This blind man recognizes something in Jesus that transforms his life so much that he becomes unrecognizable. That he becomes unrecognizable. There's something about Jesus. Maybe I could say it this way. When we recognize, when we discover the unrecognized in Christ, it brings out the unrecognized in you. You know, I, I know there are people in this room, and you'll be able to tell your own story. I know people who, who came into church or, or came to faith through all sorts of crazy things, became Christians, went back to their situations, and people go, what changed about you? What happened to you? There's something different about you because the unrecognized part of Jesus, when we recognize it, brings out the unrecognized in us. I don't know about you, but I think that's exciting. There's something about Jesus. And the thing that's different about him isn't just what is revealed in himself, but what gets revealed in us. One last story. Luke chapter 24. Jesus has been crucified, put in a tomb, resurrected. He's appeared to Mary and Martha and the disciples. And then there's some men walking along a road. To, to, it's called the road to Emmaus. And this is what it says. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, they were reflecting on what's going to happen now that our Jesus is dead. So they're having this doom and gloom conversation. And it says, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast, and so they start to tell him this whole big story, this whole big sob story about Jesus. They're telling the resurrected Jesus, who they can't recognize. They're, oh, our Jesus is gone and everything's a disaster. You know. And so Jesus starts to unpack the scriptures with them, and then this is what happens. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. But when he was at the table with them, he took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. <laughs> then they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked? In other words, was there not something about this man when we were walking with him? Were our hearts not burning within us while he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? I love, oh, we'll leave it there, that's right. They go back, they meet with the disciples and everyone's very excited. 
Jesus appears among them all. I love what the pulpit commentaries have to say about this. It says this, in the, in the same way that Mary Magdalene looked on and failed to recognize the person of her adored master in John chapter 20, when he appears to her at his resurrection. And in the same way, by the lake shore, as he stood and spoke to the tired fishermen who had been with him so long but knew him not, some mysterious change had been wrought in the person of the Lord between the resurrection and the ascension. Men and women now looked on him without a gleam of recognition, followed by gazing on him knowing well that it was the Lord. The resurrected Jesus was obviously different. The same, but different. Because their last memory burned into their mind of their Savior was of one wounded, of one broken, and one defeated. But the one standing there was different. The one standing there was resurrected. He was whole. He was perfect. And this is the power of Christ's resurrection, that he invites us to experience our own resurrection. The same person but somehow different. The same person, but somehow different, to which end people will say, the last time I saw him or the last time I saw her, she was wounded, he was broken, he was a defeated person, but the person standing before me now, I wish I could get some help in here, the person standing before me now is unrecognizable. Why? Because they have discovered the unrecognized in Jesus. There's something about Jesus. My question this morning is do you recognize it? Do you recognize it? Can I get the musos back? See, I want to put this challenge to you. I want to put this question to you. I don't know why you're in church this morning. I've got a number of visitors here. I mean, look, some of, some of you have here, been here 50 years. I don't know why you're in church this morning. I would, I would never make an assumption about why anybody's here because I know people who have journeyed with the Lord for years and years and years who have been among him every day, as Jesus said, but still haven't recognized that difference in their life, that still haven't been, uh, had the unrecognizable in them drawn out. God is a God of transformation. Resurrecting King, if you just want to start that, it would be awesome. But this morning, I want to give you an opportunity. I want to leave that challenge with you. And I want to leave uh, a, a way for you to respond that is entirely up to you how you do it. But could we all stand together this morning? Because here's my question. Here's my question. Have you recognized Jesus this morning? Do you recognize Jesus this morning as more than a man? as more than a prophet, as more than a teacher, but as the son of the living God, the resurrected king who in the face of every circumstance trying to defeat him endured. And do you recognize him as the one who says, all who, all who receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. 
all that received him, he gave the right to become children of God. Do you recognize that Jesus is the one who, despite every force being against you, he is the one who can bring you through it? Despite the fact that sin holds every one of us down, disqualifies us from the perfection and the grace of God, disqualifies us from the perfection of God, the grace of God fights harder still. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You will know the truth and it will set you free. Do you recognize Jesus this morning? There's people in this place who you might be here for the very first time and you've only ever heard Jesus as a name. Well, this morning, Jesus wants to introduce yourself to, himself to you as a person, as a living and active God. And the Bible says that all of those who confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord will be saved. This morning, you can know salvation. This morning, you can know freedom. You can know redemption by believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth. And all I want to put to you this morning is this. I'm not going to uh, necessarily have an altar call, but I want to invite you to respond whatever way works for you. And so if you want to come and stand down the front here as a symbol of giving your life to Jesus, you are so welcome to do so. One of our elders would love to come and pray with you, to support you, to celebrate with you, because this morning is about celebration. So you might want to come down and stand down the front. The, the front of this church is not what saves people, though. The Bible says it's your word and your heart. And so right now, I want you to have a moment with Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm not going to ask anyone to lift a hand. I'm not going to ask anyone to identify themselves to me right now. What I'm going to ask you to do is to have a moment with Jesus. Do you recognize him? Do you accept him? And if you do, then all the Bible says you have to do is in your heart acknowledge him as Lord. To acknowledge Him as Lord means to acknowledge that His way is better than our way. God, I've tried some things and it didn't work out so well. God, I've tried uh, to, to do it my own way. I've tried to be selfish. I've tried to look out for number one and every time it's failed. Acknowledging that Jesus is Lord is acknowledging that He is the master. He is the creator of the human race. Therefore, He knows the best way to live. It doesn't mean that you're going to get it right all the time, but it's acknowledging, it's turning yourself and going, I'm going to walk a new way this morning. I'm going to turn my back on, the plan, on my plans and I'm going to turn my heart towards God's plans. If you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. And then it says, and if you confess with your mouth, you will be saved. And so all I want to encourage you to do is between now and 12 o'clock, between now and 12 o'clock, tell three people that you have decided to follow Jesus. I would love to be one of them. I would love to pray with you. I would love to shake your hand. I would love to celebrate with you. I have decided to follow Jesus. It might be someone sitting next to you in the row this morning. You don't even have to know them. It's not about them. It's about you getting it out with your mouth saying, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back, no turning back. Find three people before 12 o'clock. As you can say in your heart to God, I believe that you are my Lord. And then with your mouth, I have decided to follow Jesus. And this morning, if you'd like to respond as we sing this last song and you'd like someone to pray for you down the front here, you'd like, someone to, you'd like to come out here so that the first person you tell can be at the front row of this church, you are so welcome to do that. You can bring a friend with you if, you, if, if you're uncomfortable about that. But this morning, 
remember that as you recognize what so many people have failed to recognize in Jesus, God will draw out the unrecognized in you. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you make every plan, that you make every way. We thank you that your word says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. No principality, no power, no height, no depth. You see every heart and you love every heart. Lord, I thank you that you would rather have us with our junk than not have us at all. I thank you that this morning your arms are open. I thank you this morning that the resurrected King is resurrecting us. Thank you, God. Come on, let's sing a final song of worship this morning.